Edge of the Headlights podcast. My name is Rob. I am one of your co-hosts. And the other one sitting across from me is a sexy piece of man meat, Marty. How are we doing this week, Marty? Uh, wow, sexy piece of man meat. Don't know as I've ever heard myself referred to as that. Uh, but I'm doing pretty good. Uh, ready for another week of uh, whatever comes along, I suppose. How do you like this bipolar weather we got? Uh, we, we go from super warm, all the snow has melted off, to this afternoon it was windy, cold, bits of snow started flying but didn't stick, which is good. But it is what it is when you live here. Yeah, it went from 80 degrees on today's Wednesday. Yeah, Monday it was 80 degrees. <laughs> then the next day it was 36, wind out of the north and just like, bitch ass cold. Oh, it was bad wind too. Oh yeah. my God, it was so bad. Yeah, I think I had to go down the road and pick up my garbage can from two blocks away. Yeah, I just threw mine out because I knew it had to go out. And I was like, eh, wind takes it, wind takes it. That's yeah, but the nice thing is in the neighbor, all the garbage bowls in the neighbor yard, but it's a vicious cycle because my neighbor next to me blew to my yard. Right, right, <laughs> right. My Mine eventually would just end up a couple of blocks down in the river, and then it's downstate's problem. <laughs> yep, I hear you. <laughs> well, this tonight, folks, we're going to be talking about Antarctica. And we're going to talk about some of them. More first part of this podcast might be a little dry because, you know, you guys have the backstory of what Antarctica is, and we all know it's cold. Very At least cold. it's consistent, and it's not bipolar like South Dakota. That's very true. Yeah, because let's say okay, Antarctica is the Earth's southernmost continent. It's the fifth largest continent on the planet, covering five point five million square miles, with a population of density of point zero 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 eight people per square mile wow. how the hell did they figure that out basic math i'm assuming well yeah i, I would i would suppose math that well still is way above what i want to do for math but yeah yeah it also is the coldest driest and the windiest continent the lowest recorded temp was a negative 128.6 fahrenheit that's straight up degrees that's straight up degrees no wind chill right. nothing no feels like crap. No, that's straight up the coldest temperature. And the fastest wind speed recorded in 1972 at Dumont d'Urville Station was 199 miles an hour. Wow. That is absolutely insane. It is. Just think, well, about that fast yesterday out here. Well, that's kind of what it felt like. Yeah, but without the cold temp. Right, right. Now, just think about it. If you took that really cold temperature, negative 126... <sighs> Times 199 miles an hour. Ugh. It would it, see. I went to the NOAA website to figure out how cold it would be because right. I, I took them to. That'd be like the perfect storm. And all they would let me do for the wind is 110 max at that oh, temperature. <laughs> and it, consistently, the wind's on there like 80 miles an hour during the winter. Right. Consistently, like days on end. But at 126 degrees below zero, at 110 miles an hour, it equals out to a nice crisp negative 230 degrees. <laughs> Uh, enjoy that walk for three seconds. Yeah, your boys would be way up in you. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, they'd be just frozen off. Good Lord. So what kind of, So there's all types. Well, how many? what kind of organisms do you think actually live in Antarctica? Who could survive in that? I know there's uh, crazy penguins, which are absolutely insane. Why would you choose to be there? But, yeah, and some of their breeding seasons are actually during the winter when it's <laughs> the coldest out. And we've all we've all seen Happy Feet that we know how it happens, you know. Right, right. Now I, I I don't know with penguins. The craziest thing was when I found out actually how tall, like the emperor penguin was. 
Yeah, I, he's four foot. Yeah. I was like, wait, wait, what? Yeah, that's bigger than clo- <laughs> a, a that's bigger four. than your daughter. It, it damn near is. A four <laughs> well, she's kind of a penguin. midget too. So. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, she cleared five foot, so she's good. But. Yeah. Well, some of the other things live there: algae, bacteria, fungi, plants. I don't know what kind of plants. They consider like kelp plants. I'm right. guessing. Well, probably. So I don't think there's no trees there. Well, even fungi. Usually, when I think of that, I think of warm, humid, moist. Well, I think they're but putting. I think like, they're kind of putting like leaching in there. Yeah, stuff yeah. like plastered on the side of a rock. Yeah. And that. But still, it's pretty inhospitable. Oh yeah. Then you got protista, which I looked it up, and it's another type of algae. I'm like, why did you say algae? You do it twice. <laughs> this is super algae. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, all right. Uh, probably somebody out there is going to correct us saying this is this, but whatever. Right. Then you have mites and nematodes, penguins, seals, and tardigrades. Tardigrades, you know, the little funky things that can live, like, in nuclear waste and shit. Oh, yeah, 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 like, yeah. extremophiles. Okay, okay. I was thinking, like, what is it, some kind of fucking puffin that lives down south? No, okay, no, I It's like you. them little yep. bugs, like the one, I guess, if I read the internet right, the internet never lies to you. No. I guess some got exposed and are living on the moon right now? Yes. There is? Yeah. You can confirm that? I have seen stories on it, yeah. Okay. So... Well, you, what, you figure that, well, the ocean around it has to have a lot of life. Have you ever heard of a cod ice fish? No. <laughs> Sounded like something you'd order at a bartender when I was bartending. You have people come to you, oh, I'll take a Scooby snack. And I'm like, do you know how to make that damn thing? Right. No, then I ain't going to make it either. Because I don't know how. Because I don't got my time to waste to do that. I need, a, I need a slippery catfish whisker with a twist. I don't even know what the hell that is, man. Please. Actually, that's Kahlua. Oh, I'm just God. I'm just fucking. <laughs> but either way, the codfish, the cod ice fish, you know why it gets its name from? Because it actually contains antifreeze proteins in its blood oh, and tissues. Oh, those creepy animals. Yeah, no, this is like a yeah, but I don't think I would want to eat something that has antifreeze in it. Ugh. Something similar to antifreeze, <laughs> right? Because I guess it's not that bad. Because when I did look it up, it's like a polypeptide. Oh, okay. Basic science, you're the science guy. I right, mean. right. But, yeah, just enough to keep it from freezing. Its yeah, it basically death. allows, it inhibits the growth of ice in the blood and tissues right. and keeps it from recrystallizing and killing it. So how many of those things have we been studying to try to mutate us into? Oh, yeah, super... that's the first thought that crossed my mind. I'm like, ooh, we got spiders. We're, we're talking out here about the spiders. Yes. Yeah, the spiders, they got it. Yep. Now they're down in Antarctica and all the research facility is down there talking hmm. we're just checking the wind oh yeah we're not we're not extracting dna from this fish that can live in n- below freezing water right, right yeah we don't want that no kill kill you in seconds temperatures yeah but the largest ice fish subspecies is the patagonia toothfish when fully grown it reaches seven feet long oh god it weighs 220 pounds just think oh. how much dna you can get out of that Oof. that is a very big fish, especially yeah. be living in the cold like that. Yeah, they don't. God. I don't know how old one of them things are because, like, usually they say like cold water makes you live longer. Right. I, I think that's a lie because I couldn't live very long in cold. Yeah. Water. No. No. I avoid it like the plague. Yeah. Then you know, we got your ever faithful penguins. There's 17 species of penguins that live in the solar polar region, but only two call Antarctica home. They are the emperor penguins. That's like four foot tall. Yeah. And the itty bitty adept. Adelaide penguin, like two foot tall, weighing thirteen pounds. You can punt them across the room. Right. Yeah, that's like a, a medium sized dog coming at you with its beak. Yeah. 
But their beaks are sharp. You think they would be? Oh, horrible. Yeah. Well, thinking that, I like hunting in that. So, I mean, like, can you hunt penguins? Right. That's the first thing that crossed my mind. <laughs> I like duck hunting. I like hunting in general. I'm a humane hunter and all that. But I'm like, can you hunt penguins? And the answer is no. Oh, sad. Because it's covered in a tree or something. They talk oh, about. I'm sure, yeah. Well, when you talk about penguins hunting them, you're like, oh, what do they taste like? So I had to look up, what do penguins taste like? <laughs> and I never pictured this, but yeah, there's actually somebody, there's actually a count on the internet about somebody who actually ate them damn things. Well, a lot of, the first people got down there, they used them to eat them, to prevent scurvy and that, because they right. didn't have fresh vegetables and fruits. I'm like, oh, we'll eat the penguins, and it happily, it happily worked that they could cure their scurvy. And they weren't poisonous. Well, See. from the way this description is talking, they should have been poisonous. <laughs> because uh, the first mention of what penguins penguins taste like is by Dr. Frederick Cook, a ship surgeon on the Belika ship in 1897. Dr. Cook gives this description. Imagine a piece of beef, odiferous codfish, and a canvasback duck roasted together in a pot with blood and the cod liver oil for sauce. Oh, wow. <laughs> Appetizing. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm serious. When I look this up, I say serious a lot, don't I? Yeah, yeah seriously. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> I do. But I looked it up, and there's actually people that would actually, before this treaty came in, the ban, you can't hunt penguins anymore. Right. Which I find kind of funny, because you can you can hunt walruses. You yeah. can legally hunt walruses like in Newfoundland. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like Iceland, I think, has a polar bear hunting season, too, you know? I Yeah, that'd be scary. Oh, God, yeah, I know this thing <laughs> nine, ten foot tall. See, see, your interest was like, oh, I'm a hunter. I wonder if I could hunt that and eat that. I am a fat guy, and I'm like, mm, I wonder what that would taste like. Because I'm up for eating anything, let's be honest. Just see, to try it at least once. Yeah, I've actually had, I've actually had bear before, black bear. Oh, yummy. You've had it? No. Oh, I want it's not. Don't, don't say yummy if you haven't had it. <laughs> it's like a really greasy, sweet-tasting meat. It's oh. Weird. You're, yeah. You think at least since it's related to the pig, it right. tastes like bacon. No, it don't taste like bacon. Yeah, I don't know. The greasy thing may throw me off. Sweet, I'm okay with, but the greasy thing, I don't know. That, yeah, it's that really might throw me off. Yeah, it's greasy and sweet. So then that led me to like, is there recipes for cooking penguins? <laughs> <laughs> and I went down a dark rabbit hole there. <laughs> I typed in recipes for penguin all over the internet, and 90% of the stuff that came back with some guys dancing in penguin suits. I don't know how that Google translated <laughs> recipe for penguins to guys in penguin suits. Perhaps it's another language for sexy hot guys in penguin suits. I don't know. I fucking hope not. I, I hope not, Because too, now I, I'm pretty sure... I will quit I'm using gonna, the word recipe at that point. <laughs> I'm going to have to give my computer a penicillin shot because some of this stuff <laughs> I popped up on there. I'm like, I'm glad I didn't use my home PC for this. The wife might be a little mad. Have come like, what are you watching? Nothing, dear. Nothing, nothing. That's why you always use work computers. Then it's not your problem. Oh, I definitely not use my work computer. <laughs> I just deal with stuff on my phone. I don't use work computers. Because <laughs> uh, I have guys at work that listen to this podcast. No, I don't work use work computers to look up <laughs> random shit. Uh, don't even yeah. start that rumor at work, guys. Right, that's just me throwing out some shit. Yeah, my co-host sucks. <laughs> well, you got big ones. And also, okay, back on, still on the penguins. I got I got to tell this story that I read online about these guys that ate the penguins before it was illegal. 
they used to have some really messed up dreams, I guess. They used to dream about penguins in little suits while they, after eating them because when they butchered them, they kind of looked like little men for some way. <laughs> and it, it said a lot of the guys actually quit drinking because it bothered them so much because they would drink to cover up the taste of this food. And yeah, they quit drinking and quit eating the penguins. Oh, my God. And penguins are not the smartest animal on the planet. No, no, they don't seem like it. Oh, no, because there's a, a story I read. And these guys are on this ship, you know, they're stuck down there in the ice pack or whatever. And they're running along with food. And they see penguins off in the distance. Well, one guy starts playing a flute or a piccolo or something. Little. Right. And the penguin's like, oh, what's that? <laughs> and start walking right over the ship. And they kill him. They stop, they stop making noise. They're even killing it while they're making noise. And the penguins are like, oh, what's this? What's this? Then they're done. And the penguins just waddle off. They're like, where's Steve go? Where's Tony? Oh, my what? God. Yeah. And that's how they got him. They, yeah. It's like that gopher mentality where you, like, shoot one gopher. The other ones pop up and like, hey, what's going on? Yeah. Pretty. Are, really? <laughs> pink, pink, pink. Gophers Next are cannibalistic. You ever know? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's gross. Awful, so. awful animals. Oh, yeah. Then, like, so we run the penguins. I went, like, all right. Penguins are out there on land and water. I'm like, well, what's in the water? Well, besides the seals, there is seven common whales you would see. They are the largest being the Arctic blue whale, which reaches lengths of 110 feet, while the shortest is the orca or killer whale, which can reach lengths of 31 feet. Which is still pretty sad that that's the shortest. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're large. I've seen them in person. They are a big animal. Yeah. And the funny thing is, like, when I went on the WWE... W- oh, yep. WWF site? I think it's... WWE. Yeah, that's WWF. Wrestling. Yeah. yeah. They made them change yeah. to WWF. I went to WWF wet site. <laughs> and, um... Sorry about that. And then, like, killer whales, they have three different places for them on this list because there's three different major pods there. Oh, so they get their own little bracket. Wow, nice. Yeah. Respect, orcas. Respect. Yes. So what other kind of crazy stuff do you think's in the water up there? Since we're seeing so much of it, you like water so much. And uh, I, me too. Right. Oh, uh, God, I can only imagine. There's got to be some form of cephalopod or something that can handle that. Uh because there's a lot of them like North Atlantic, which is cold water on its own. And yeah. They seem to thrive in the cold. But Well, there's a creature out there that they supposedly say that's 20 to 30 meters long. You ever heard of the Ninjin? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was first reported in 2007. Yep, I was going to say it was pretty recent. Yeah, it's only like 14 years ago. Basically, this creature is 20 to 30 meters long, and it kind of has a vague humanoid shape with an oversized head. It's like a creature that has, like, we would picture a really badly drawn two-year-old version of a human. Right, yeah. yeah. And it's, like, white and pale. As I say, it's like a, a creepy, pasty Yeah, pale. and they, like, say it's got big eyes. Yeah. And, it's but not that, something I would want to see coming out of the water at me. Well, yeah, I would have to agree with you there. Because <laughs> it was reported by a Japanese paranormal magazine. Then I looked on the internet, and supposedly there's a picture of it. Like, from Google Earth and that. Yep. So... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've seen that, uh, just like an outline of... Yeah, it's something like way up like from satellite. Oh, yeah. What's that? It's a boat or whatever. We don't know. But my question is, could the ninja be a new species of whale that we're just misinterpreting? That, I think very easily. Uh, I guess from what I've seen, even the reports of what it looks like vary vaguely. 
Yeah. Uh, some of them are, say that there are small arms, and others are like, no, they're just flipper type things. Yeah. Because like walruses have like flippers that, yeah. if they're probably going through the water, they look like arms too. And if there's people out there that say it's nothing that big could be found in the ocean the way they're talking 20 or 30 meters, I have an example for you. I found one. Oh. And it's heavy. There's a species of whales called out there, brand new discovered like in 2014. Oh, wow. It's called the rice whale. I have not actually heard it. It was, yeah, it's, just wait till you hear this now. <coughs> Excuse me. It was first supposedly sighted in the 1990s, and it wasn't confirmed till 2014 after they did a genetic test to verify that it was a new species. There's only like 100 of these rice whales left on the planet. The rice whale measures 41 feet in adulthood and weighs up to 13.65 metric tons. Well, that Basically, wow. it's the size of five full-grown elephants. Those yeah. roughly. Do you know where their home range is? Take a wild guess. Hmm. I know you won't get it. If you do, I'll, I'll buy you a pop. <laughs> uh, I have no idea. Their home range is the Gulf of Mexico. Whoa, seriously? Something that big? Yeah. The Gulf of Mexico covers 670,000 square miles. But it is very heavily traveled. Exactly. I've not seen anything like that. Yeah, and the first time they ever saw it was in the 90s, supposedly. Right. Then you take another one 15 years before yeah. it's actually verified. Oh, oh that's kind of crazy. So it wouldn't be that far out of context for something like that, because the Southern Ocean, which surrounds Antarctica and all, anything below the 60th, 60th parallel, that covers 7.8 million square miles. Yeah. 12 times the area of the Gulf of Mexico. And a lot of that is deep, if I am... Um... Yeah, it's really deep. It's super deep. Yeah. Not quite like, you know, Mariana Trench deep, but uh, it's it's a lot of volume. Yeah. But I just find it really amazing that they have, like, such a large species. Let's Can you use that for, like, the Bigfoot example? Oh, yeah. It's just, it, just, it just all correlates because you get something that large in right. that small of area. Technically, it's, like, homegrown in that area. Yeah. And it... And, it's found and it's taken so long for something to find that large creature. Yeah. I mean, Gulf of Mexico is big, but in comparison to the other bodies of water that are all over the place, it's relatively small for something that large to have not been seen. You can fly over it like in two hours oh, yeah. from Atlanta to Jamaica. Yeah. I think it's, maybe three hours, maybe. But still. About two and a half, I think. But it's really kind of neat, too, because I flew to Jamaica and we flew out of Atlanta. We went over the Gulf. You can actually see some of them ships. You're like, oh, there's a cute little ship. And then it clicks in your head like these giant container ships. Like, right, right. I'm like, holy crap, I can see that from where I'm flying up in the airplane. That's that is, huge. That is a massive cargo container yeah. containing hundreds and hundreds of those semi-sized containers. Unless and, you're trying to go through the Suez Canal. Yeah, and you're unless you're stuck. heading that way. Yeah. And then you get stuck for like a week. So who do you think was the first person to actually speculate that there was some type of southern continent? Oh, jeez. Come on. You're zero for one. <laughs> I am. I'm going to keep that streak going. Yeah. Uh, I, Marty, you got to quit sighing. It makes my dog. I, I know. It's like we're not, we're not, well, whatever. They, they hear. But who do you think actually came up with the idea there'd be in some southern continent to offset the rest of the planet? I want to almost go back even to Greek times. You're but, close. Uh, I am not sure. First mention of it was in 350 BC. Oh, wow. 
in Aristotle's book called Meteorology. He didn't give a name to it, but he said basically he believed that there was a southern continent, southernmost continent, because it, well, that's what, what they're believing at the time was it equaled all the other continents that they already found. So, oh, it's like a globe. They knew it was a globe, what well, yep. he did. And he's like, oh, we need something to like a counterweight on a balance. Right. This undiscovered speculative southern continent, as Aristotle called it, wasn't given a name till 1545 A.D. After it was mentioned in a woodcut illustration titled Sphere of the World. This is where the name Terra Australia showed up, which was sometimes shortened to Australia. So originally, Antarctica was called, the original name was Australia. Ah. And then the, what, British stole it when they decided to oh, we'll make get to Australia we'll, we'll get to that. Prison? So, the date 1545 A.D. stuck in my head. Do you know why it's stuck in my head? I, I'm i sorry, Marty. I'm quizzing you. I feel like a teacher. I'm like, uh, get this I pop quiz right. Because I read a lot of random shit. Right. I, it just geez, sticks in there. I don't know. Well, this item was drawn in 19, 1513. It was the Piers, Piri Rees map. Oh. And this is highly controversial map showed Antarctica's coastline and interior free of ice. Yes. Along with mountain ranges, tributaries, and some of what, and some of them show like what they believe is diagrams of what the inhabitants look like. This map was somewhat validated when a satellite with LIDAR capabilities passed over Antarctica. This satellite was being used to map the ground under the thick ice because with the LIDAR penetrates, yep. you can set for the re- reflectivity so it ignores it and sees what's underneath the ice. Yeah. The LIDAR showed mountain ranges and ancient riverbeds that matched up with the Piri Rees map. Which is insane to me. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's always... I, I guess I don't remember what the name of it was until you were saying it here. But, yeah, I've seen that map and heard the story before of that. And it's always been very fascinating. Yeah, See, because... like, who did this? You got put you got put more validation into it because, yes, Aristotle said something there. But, right. like, in their past, like, even with Christopher Lumbers, he used maps already made by somebody else who went out before him. Yeah. And as a continuous recycling, we even did that till how long ago before we could actually get pictures from space? Oh God, yeah, yeah. And so I have, I believe that map is fairly, I'd say, ninety percent accurate. Right. I don't know about the inhabitants of it, but it, I, I mean, I, I don't know, man. Because there is some people out there that say an archive has just been covered with ice within the last two thousand years. Right. I don't know. I, I it could be possible. Right, I, I believe it's probably been longer than that, but I think we're in a conspiracy podcast, so we can talk yeah. about yeah, yeah. It was just covered in ice last week. Yeah, they're all lying. It's all a trick. <laughs> in the 19th century, the colonial authorities of Sydney removed the Dutch name New Holland and took the name Australia. So basically, Australia they took Antarctica's name instead of Australia was called New Holland. Then they took. Australia, from the southern continent, they didn't really have a name for it and used it for Australia. Once again, leaving the solar polar region nameless for another 80 years. During that period, cartographers had to make do with clumsy phrases such as the Antarctic, Antarctic continent. Eventually, the name Antarctica was given to the southern polar region by cartographer, cartographer yeah. John George Bartholomew in 1890. Before this, some cartographers used poetic names such as Antipodia Ooh. and Ultima. Oh, wow. remember that name. Just wow. remember that name. That'll probably come up later. 
I don't know, Antipodius. That really kind of just rolls. I like I like Podia. That. It's Podia. You got the notes in front of you. You can see the word I'm talking about. I can't read. We know this. Then after that, Antarctica officially didn't get discovered again, technically for good this time, in 1820, by the Russian expedition led by Fabian Gottlieb von Bellenhausen and Mikhail Lazarev. I would hang out with the last dude, Mikhail, because that first guy has like five first names. Yeah, that is a that is a whole mouthful for trying to. Uh, he must try to like really sound important. I'm like, right. I don't, I don't. I like the guy with two names. <laughs> this will sound glorious when they pin a medal on my chest. No, the no, the medal it's will too go much. halfway across his chest for them. I mean, damn letters. <laughs> they just called him Fabby. Fabby. No. <laughs> Fab. It's Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, <laughs> God damn it, Marty. <laughs> Then basically they, they recorded a sighting, a massive ice shelf, which became known as the Fimble Ice Shelf, which is it is today. The first documented landing on mainland Antarctica was by the American sealer John Davis. How much more plain name can you get? John Davis. Isn't that the same name of the guy who did uh, Garfield? It's John Davis. I think that was the main character. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Maybe it was he him. Na- he's such an arrogant bastard, he named the main character after himself. Jeez. <laughs> then, um, on Fe- when he, American sealer John Davis landed at Hughes Bay on February 7th, 1821. This set off a chain reaction of people coming to explore Antarctica that is in effect even till today. So what do you think about that, Marty? Would you go to Antarctica if you had an all-paid expense trip? I have thought about that because there have been openings that pop up in different stuff where it's like, hey, do you want to come down and help with this project for six months? And it's like, well, for a month, I I might want to just to say I've been down there. But six months is a long time to be sitting in that cold. So if anybody eventually listens to this podcast and you've been to Antarctica, call us, email us. Well, you can't call us, email us. Let us know how it was down there and what you had to deal with, the stresses and that. We, I would really be interested. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would love to hear that. Well. Because it has fascinated me for a long time, but it's oh, yeah. it, it's a desolate place. Oh, yeah. And it's got the really, well, I would like the mountains view, but there's there's some mountains down there. That'd be yeah. kind of cool. And everybody talks about the pyramid-shaped mountains. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's always that bit of trepidation. But when I there's go into a funny thing like you can that. find pure pyramid shaped mountains in the Rockies. Right. It's all some of it. Some of it. I'm not saying it's all false. I'm saying no. some of it is geology, but majority of it is ge- geology. Yeah. Yeah. No. When when something does pop up and I go, oh, that looks really out of place, then I start to go, okay, well maybe let's take a look at that. But if it's a pyramid shaped mountain in the middle of other mountains, I just have to go. Eh, it's, it's a sheer just factor, a mountain, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's three mountain ranges in Antarctica. The first is the Anta Antart Andes, also known as the Arctic Peninsula Cordillera. Why can't people come up with different fucking normal names for this right, shit? Right, just come up with something simple. Yeah, spine of the world, you know. Yeah, it's something simple. It sounds cool. But then this Cordillera runs the full length of the Antarctic Peninsula in what is known as a Graham and Palmer land. Further south of the Anta, Antarctic are the Ellsworth Mountains, which are home to the Sentinel Range and the highest peaks on the continent. 
The third major range is called the Transarctic Mountain or TAMS, which run north or south and split the continent east and west into east and west Antarctica. That's the one you most see on the map. That's the one that runs from like the Ross Shelf oh, straight up. Yep, that's the yep. most, that, that's the one they're talking about. It's at Transarctic Mountains. The one with the easiest name. Well, then you got some of the more famous mountains in Antarctica are Mount Terror. I just like that name. That's oh, a good yeah. name. Why, oh, did God, just, yeah. why did they just name the whole mountain range? This is the Terror Range. I, this is the fucking cold range. And this is, your balls are going to fall off if you step outside to pee. That's Mount Windy as shit. Oh, okay. We're not going up there. Yeah. I, I like to think the first people who were naming this were like, oh, we'll call it Mount Terror and nobody else will want to come down here. This will all be ours. And people are like, fuck, I want to see Mount Terror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, give it a cool name like that. Also for, And I just like that name. But Mount Vin... Vincent Massif, the highest peak in the is the highest peak in the continent, and Mount Erebus, Erebus, an active volcano, is this active volcano and the second highest peak in Antarctica. Now Mount Erebus is pretty interesting because one, it's an active volcano; two, it has frequent eruptions that spew gold. Well, damn, yeah, that is a very interesting volcano. But that's not that common because a lot of your Volcanoes actually spew, spew gold. But Erebus's Ur- gold is different. It is actually spewing metallic gold particles, oh, wow. while the other volcanoes of the world shoot forth gold particles. Wow. So geologists are like, uh, volcanists don't know, like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> why? 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 <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, what, uh, that's odd. I have a theory on that. I think I'm sure you do. <laughs> I think some that's actually I don't know. It would make sense like what if you took gold bars or gold statues or gold buildings right. and you melt it an eruption would that make it different than what normal geology process would do? Well, you'd think it would because I mean natural gold is going to be already mixed in with quartz and granite and everything else with it. Yeah. You know, and it's in its raw state and not refined mm-hmm. and purified to be made into bars, rings, statues. Whole ass buildings. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. That'd be pretty sweet. Oh yeah. So, can you name any of the famous explorers that have visit Antarctica without looking at the paper? Without looking at the paper, ah, <laughs> uh, I would say the only one that comes to mind, I think, was Bird was down there a few times. That is about the only one that I can think of. Well, since we just talked about Mount Terror and Mount Erebus, they were discovered by James Clark Ross. For which the Rossi and the Ice Shelter are named for, too. He's, no. like, he's like one of them guys that got named stuff after himself. But I'll give him leeway because he named Mount Terror. That's, that's, a, that's, a, brownie point, that's a brownie point in his area. <laughs> he, he did name Mount, Mount Terror. That yeah. is pretty badass. Yeah. Then he got um, Ernest Shackleton and David Edgeworth and their party, which were the first to climb Mount Erebus to reach the magnetic south pole. How in the hell Oof. do they figure out that the magnetic south pole is on top of a mountain? My, my question is... Why are you already down in a super windy, cold, inhospitable shithole of, of a land and decide, you know what? I'm going to climb up that mountain where I can't breathe, too. <laughs> you know? Like, well, the, that's actually, some ballsy dudes back in those days. Oh, yeah. Man. If you go to Antarctica, you actually, it's higher than most of the land we're used to. Right. So you would instantly get altitude sickness and you have to acclimatize. Oh, but Jesus. Let's go higher. Right. No, like, but there's less guys, oxygen and it's a lot fucking colder. Right. No, most of those guys, like in that uh, 1800s and that, who were going exploring the Arctic Circle and that, those were some ballsy dudes, man. Oh, yeah. 
that, that took some some huevos guts to just be like you know what we're gonna head that way and hope we don't freeze and die yeah but we could be famous I, if we come back I don't, we yeah will. if we survive and aren't eaten by whatever is up there yeah and the other one famous one i found i just picked like three or four of them those in the region polar explorer roland amundsen was the first to reach the magnetic south pole by using the bay of Wales route so we basically get to the same spot just found a different route it's like right. going up the Himalayan, going up everest there's oh, like yeah. different routes right then you got some of the more famous women you got because most of the time when you look up stuff it's always about men oriented yeah and i wanted I'm like what else have been there so here are some of the women explorers of antarctica you have Carolina Mickelson was the first woman to set foot on an Antarctic an Arctic island in 1935. The first woman to actually set foot on mainland Antarctica was Ingrid Christensen in 1937. The first woman women to set foot on magnetic South Pole were Pam Young, Jean Pearson, Lois Jones, Eileen McSavany, Kay Lindsay, and Terry Tickhill in 1969. Them women have bigger balls than I do. Oh, I am God. sorry to say. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. Oh, uh, yeah, no. I, oh, man, I don't know, man. Even even at 69, the tech still isn't there. that great for surviving. The tech isn't even that good now, though. Oh, God, no. No, we're still building buildings down there and putting massive heaters on it and wearing parkas inside to survive. Yeah. To just, like, fly down there on, on the... The boat plane and drop off and be like, well, we're going to go climb over here. No, hell no. I don't even like going outside to get the dog when it's cold out, you know. Even last night I didn't want to go outside. Oh, well, I was no. wearing shorts and a shirt. I should have put those pants on. Hmm. Don't be talking about, don't think about moving my pants off. No, I had shorts on, dude. Too late already. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you notice, I left out, Marty mentioned Marty, I left out one of the more famous and controversial explorers of Antarctica, which is Admiral Richard E. Byrd. The famous explorer led several voyages across Antarctica by plane in the 1930s through the 1940s. He is credited with implementing mechanized land transportation on the continent, also along with extensive geological and biological research. But his, his claim to fame in most of these podcasts that talk about weird, encrypted, paranormal conspiracy is his credit of flying his plane into a giant hole in the ice shelf to hollow earth and meeting people that live there. Yes. And this happened right around 1947, and the city was called Arania. I think, isn't there, is that like Aria Grande? Ariani? Yeah. How do you say that? And it was ruled by super intelligent humanoids. I don't know how smart they would have to be to live in that cold ass with a big hole in your roof. Because why would you want that kind of AC going on? I think I would still rather meet the Ariani than meet Ariana Grande. But that's just me. But if you're Ariana Grande and you listen to us, we'll gladly take an interview with you. We will. Yeah, we will. This all happened, this reportedly happened around 1947 during the end of Operation High Jump and the beginning of Operation Windmill. So what are your thoughts, Marty? Ah, that hollow earth bird story, man. That has always captured my attention, even as a kid, uh, from reading the stories of like Pellucidor and some of those of Edgar Burroughs who did a lot of the hollow earth stories. And part of me wants to be like, yes, absolutely. Let's go try to find this. Cause even like, I think in the actual Arctic, there have been photos of like just fields in the middle of 
snowy shit all of a sudden and like two days later there's just snow covering it it's like fields of flowers it's like how the hell is that going on so you know I, what i mean oh yeah so have you got anything else about this podcast for the night you would like to say oh god <laughs> <laughs> wait we aren't done yet i gave you a, i have two sheets in front of me that you do not have oh no so this is a little addendum. I'm going to just go off on my one of my awesome-ass tangents It's here. a phone call from Ariana Grande, and I made an ass of myself. Oh, no. How? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> my phone isn't going off, so it's not her. And like with this podcast, we always, I, like I said in their first pilot episode, we're going to talk about South Dakota. Right. But every episode, I'm going to try and tie in something to South Dakota. And there is a tie-in to South Dakota, kind of, in Antarctica. Hmm. Yep. All right, I'm intrigued. Well, basically, the Ellsworth Mountains. Oh, okay, <laughs> Named after okay. the Air Force Base. The Ellsworth Mountains are named after Lincoln Ellsworth, which just happens to be the name of the Air Force Base in South Dakota. But that's not interesting, just coincidental. The interesting thing is what happened to Lincoln Ellsworth, not once, but twice. Hmm. But before we talk about that, let's get a little backstory on Mr. Ellsworth. Lincoln was born on May 28, 1880, to James Ellsworth and Ava Francis Butler. Lincoln Ellsworth wasn't an ideal student, as reported on Wikipedia, which stated it took Lincoln two years longer than normal to graduate high school. But, get this, after he finally graduated from high school, what did you think he did next? Well, I don't think he became a farmer. No. So what do you think he did? I have no idea. Mr. Eldworth enrolled and was accepted accepted to the Sheffield Scientific School at Yale University. Wow. For a super, super senior. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> That's an Ivy League school. Exactly. This is all just I pulled from the Wikipedia page, and I kind of right. moved things around to where it made more sense, because the person that wrote the article, did, I thought, did it kind of ass backwards. Right. His academic performance at Yale was poor at Yale, so he left. And enrolled and was accepted to Columbia Jeez. University, another Ivy League right. school. Not much reported about his academics at Columbia. But you know what he did next? Wow, no idea. Lincoln left Columbia and enrolled at McGill University. Jeez. Basically the Ivy League school of Canada. Yeah. Oh my God. So you're probably wondering how a person that was held back two years in high school got into three Ivy League schools. Three of them. Well, that's not all that uncommon. Being held back was not all that common back in those days. Because of the rigid teaching, and there wasn't that much rigid teaching and learning. There was no way to really break the mold. Right. And here are some examples of some other famous people that struggled in school. Michael Faraday, who established the basis of for the concept of, elect- of the electromagnetic fields right. physics. Charles Darwin is the most mostly known for writing the book called The Origins of the Species, but Darwin's scientific discovery is a unifying theory of the life sciences. Life sciences, sciences, ah! <laughs> Explaining the diversity of life. You know that big S word? Right. Alexander Graham Bell, who was famous for creating the thing we can't live without today. Oh, absolutely not. The phone. He also he was also a leader in optical communications, hydrofoils, and aeronautics. Thomas Jefferson. This man has over one thousand patents to his name, which include the light bulb, the rechargeable battery, and the X-ray machine, just to name three. Beesh. 
So I even noticed, like, I have one of my children skip a grade and a half. No, he skipped a grade. Yeah. Because he was just acting bored and he was being a clown and he wasn't being challenged. Right. And you figure back in them days, like, oh, he's just dumb and listening. Because they, they said Albert Einstein was like that. But there's mixed confliction on that. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody promotes, like, oh, he failed math. Well, only math test he really failed was the examination exam to a prestigious college when he was 16. Yeah, at, at 16. That's the math he struggled with blank. because he can't quite figure it out yet. But it makes for a better inspirational story to be. Oh, yeah, oh, he failed. He barely passed math. Yeah. No, the, the guy was goddamn genius. So, flat out. Yeah, well, out, there is some speculation that the only reason Lincoln Ellsworth could have gotten into three Ivy League schools is because of his father, who his father was. And Lincoln wasn't all that bright. So let's look. That's what they say. Right. So let's look into Lincoln's father, James Ellsworth. Mm-hmm. This guy is fucking interesting. Really? Oh, yeah. You never heard about this guy, but no. I'm going to mention a few names, and you're going to perk right up. I'll guarantee it. Hmm. James Ellsworth was a wealthy coal man from the United States. How wealthy, you ask? He has a town named after him in Pennsylvania. James was also a member of two very interesting clubs. The first was the Caxton Club, Caxton mm-hmm. Club, and the other club he belonged to was the Jekyll Island Club. Oh. Heard of either one of those? Jekyll Island, I have heard. That, I've heard of that one. Yeah. But the Caxton Club, I didn't no. figure that. I had to look that up. So basically, the Jekyll Island Club, which if you're in a conspiracy, you've heard of the Jekyll Island Club. Yep. That's has or has some famous members, which include the Morgans, like in J.P. Morgan, the Rockefellers, and Vanderbilts. This club also created the Federal Reserve System. Now, the Caxton Club, I find that a little bit more interesting. Yeah, this, I, is the, this is the first time I've ever heard it on a podcast. and I may I listen to a bunch, but I've never heard it mentioned right. anywhere. The Caxton Club is a bibliophilic society to promote book arts and the study of the book. That's what it actually says in the title. Of the book? The study of the book. I'm assuming they mean broad terms. Right, right. Now, that doesn't sound too strange to study books. You, to study books, you need to read first. So what kind of books are they reading? This is back in the early 1900s. Yeah. So you got to figure their books, they had a lot of access that we do today to like a lot of older right. manuscripts. So that's where the Pierce Reads map comes oh, yeah. in. Yeah. So, yeah, Ooh. I think I think the Caxton Club, if we could do, we should see if we could find more out because it's still current today. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They got, I looked up on the Wikipedia page. Yep. We'll do a deep dive like a DuckDuckGo or something because they won't filter all of the random shit out. Yeah. Huh, interesting. Yeah, I had not heard of that one. So now let's jump back to Lincoln Elberth and the two amazing things that happened to him. They would, you know what they were? Oh, well, hang on. I read that wrong. The two amazing things that happened to him, and they would be, he survived airplane malfunctions, crash them. Two of them. Oh, shit. Pretty amazing, unless there was a, unless the crashes were, weren't really crashes and malfunctioned aircrafts with issue, but they landed on a purpose, purpose for a specific reason, which I think they did was deliberating, and the public just was told different. Right. Would you like to guess where he had two major accidents with an airplane? Oh, Jesus. He didn't, he didn't fall down birds, uh. Inner, inner earth hole, did he? Uh, kind of. Oh, wow. The first incident happened in the Arctic Circle on May 21st, 1925, 
when Lincoln Ellsworth, along with Roland Amundsen, oh, and another plane attempted to fly from Svalbard to Norwegian, Norway or Denmark, yeah. whatever, to the North Pole. When they did not radio in after a certain time, they were feared lost. Then 20 day, 28 days later, after no communication during that whole time, Lincoln and Amundsen flew back into Svalbard. Interest. They were gone for 28 days. But they still flew back. Yeah. So they said they had mechanical problems right. and they had to do a forced landing. Oh, okay. Okay. To fix it up with all but, the equipment you have. But that doesn't make any sense if you look at it logistically. You're not going to plan for being gone for 28 days. You're not going to take all oh, that yeah. food with you. So unless you're eating... <laughs> yeah. Polar bear and whatever <coughs> else thing you find. Yeah. And they probably... That just doesn't quite add up. Yeah, because they were way, way up north. It wasn't even like steppe stuff. It was super cold Arctic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, there's an interesting side note to this. James Ellsworth spent $100,000 to fund the expedition, Lincoln's father. Today's equivalent, that'd be $1.5 million. Oof. Wow. I wonder why he did that. Huh. Too bad he wasted it. It was just a crash plane. Yeah, terrible. The second incident with Mr. Ellsworth Lincoln took place... In November 23rd, 1935, Ellsworth discovered the Ellsworth Mountains of the Antarctica while making a trans-Arctic flight from Dundee Island to the Ross Ice Shelf. During his flight, his aircraft supposedly ran out of fuel, forcing a landing near Little America Camp. Both Lincoln and his pilot, Herbert Hollick Kenyon, were unable to notify authorities about their whereabouts because of a faulty radio. The two men were declared missing and were seen and weren't seen again until the ship Discovery found them in on January sixteenth, nineteen thirty-six. Wow! So That's what a long do you find? Time. Have you put the pieces together yet? Wow! Wow! Did they maybe find a passage from one side to the other? Ding 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 ding! Damn! You win a cupid doll. Because otherwise. For dudes, especially going out on your second adventure into super cold, it seems like you're very ill-prepared for that. Yeah, running out of I'm fuel. Running out of fuel. You know, you, you think you would have learned from the first time if if the cold slapped you in the ass like that. You'd be like, okay, we got to make sure we got everything. Mm-hmm. Forgot to fill up. No, oh, darn. No. no. Oh, my God. Yeah, but... Interesting. Oh, yeah. And also, that's not it. I believe Lincoln Ellsworth is yeah. a lot smarter than what wikipedia or people are allowing on to i think he had ties to the coxton club or caxton however they said it yeah. and there's probably knowledge in there that mentions possible entrances to the middle earth that's right. where his father got into it it's like hey you're not that dumb i'm gonna promote you as being a dummy son and we're gonna send you on this stuff because yeah. why would his father spend the equivalent of 1.5 million dollars to send his son to possibly die oh yeah i mean if 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 your kid's an idiot you send him away to, you know, an island to go hang out for a month. Mm-hmm. You don't send him up to where it's super deadly and new discoveries could be found. Yep. You don't do that. Not for that kind of money. You that, take That's like your cash cow. You're like, oh yeah. we're going to put baby pamper you really nice. Yeah. You know, you, you set him off and, you know. Sit in the seat. Don't touch anything. Let's go. Yeah. Kennebunkport, Maine. Hang out here for a month. You yeah. know, 
somewhere safe and cozy where they can get pampered. Yeah, I was going to say, like, with his uh, getting into those schools and failing out, I, I did. I think he just went there and learned, like, a certain topic. Right, what he that to. And was gone. And and I just had that, that impression that maybe he is one of those, especially like we were saying at that time with the schooling, the, the guy's brilliant. He could be one of them savants. Yeah. Just, like, inhale you know, the, stuff. The dude is brilliant and is bored in the rigid class formation he yeah, had through it's primary. Yeah, it just doesn't test him enough. Or yeah. doesn't make him work for it. It's yep. already easy. He's also, Lincoln Ellsworth is the only one of four people to be awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor twice. Oh. So this Both guy is pretty much a badass. Accidents? Yeah. And it's like a day in the Boy Scouts are named after him. Yep. He has like five or six mountains named after him and wow. rivers in Antarctica. This guy's pretty much a badass. Wow. But yeah, the, no, I, I don't doubt at all that the guy was probably secretly a genius. Oh, yeah. And and to his father's credit, let him be promoted as an idiot because nobody's going to go compete with you because they figure he yeah. just sent in his idiot kid up there. Yep. Meanwhile, he's like, okay, well, this is here. If we triangulate this, oh, we got to go down for fuel. You know, yep. just... Then he got... Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. And that's, that's just something I pieced together in my little minuscule mind. <laughs> and also, I think a lot of it had to deal with, like, natural resources. There's the Antarctic Treaty. We want to get into that. That's yeah. really long and boring. I tried to read it. It put me to sleep. Yeah. I, I but that talks about how every it. nation gets so much. There's no military. There's supposedly no yeah. military down there. Yeah, but, it's a pretty dry bit of reading. I've, I've skimmed through it just for the highlights, and there aren't a lot of highlights. No. It's a lot of... Everyone has to equally split this. We have to equally split this. And knowing governments how they are, I'm sure there are plenty of them that have been piecing out their own little chunks. Oh, yeah. And just pretending it's not there. See, but I find it funny, too, also, where he landed. Because who do you think established Little America Camp? Oh, this is my last question I'm going to ask. <laughs> Come on. Is it too, too much on the nose to say, like, his dad was like, eh, or was it... Uh, Come on. Was it Mickelson that he was up there with the first time? No, he only basically went up there once. I was like, Amundsen, or all had Amundsen. Yeah, yeah, Amundsen. Yeah. No, Little America Camp was created by Richard Bird. Huh. The same man who claimed to have flown into Hollow Earth. So, indeed. Weird. Oh, yeah. What a, what a coincidental place to be landing to refuel. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing, too, is like the Rost Ice Shelf. Yeah. With a little American camp, you find a map. And I don't know how I, I looked up in the Google. Yeah. And right next to the Ross Ice Shelf, there's a whole bunch of active volcanoes. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. See, this will probably be a two-part or possibly three-part episode, but on the last one, we're going to speculation about some stuff. Worse than normal for me. <laughs> we're going to go into way past digging into that hole. It's going to be crazy town. Yeah, but you got to think, every, this and this one, everything... And everything comes back to Admiral Bird, right? And even with his son, there's so much controversy about the diary. That's the biggest thing: the Admiral oh, Bird yeah. diary. Yep, diary. Uh, diary. Yeah. No, folks, I have not been drinking. I'm just really tired <laughs> and excited to do this podcast. And I get jumpy. I've been drinking too much coffee. So, coffee's always good. Oh yeah. No, I, I could definitely see Antarctica on its own, like you said, being two, possibly three. There's a lot of crazy stuff down there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, well, we don't want to give too much away for no. the next episode. 
Well, have you got anything? Any last words? I don't have any more extra. I'm not going to pop anything out on you again. <laughs> you're, you're not throwing... Uh, Something carp- might pop out on you later. Right. But. You're not throwing Carpenter's thing at me and Norris's head's going to come crawling in with spider legs. Oh, that'd be great. Oh, I love that movie. Uh, I know. Still, see, one that's, the, that's what I One said. of the greatest horror movies still. With practical effects day. as top oh, the yeah. thing. Oh, that thing's awesome. No, it's a film that still holds up, even with... This is pre-CG 1982. Yep. With just practical effects and then some stop motion sequences of it, it still holds up incredibly well. Yeah, one I, of the best movies. I'm trying period. to talk the wife into letting me show my four year old that that it could happen. Oh uh, yeah, there's some. I I actually went to it when it, in theaters when I was like seven because I convinced <laughs> my dad. I was like, yeah, man, it's like thing from another world. You know, the old fifties went. Well, okay, let's go. Yeah, no, that was one of those films where we left. And was your like, dad one of the parents that took you to them types of movies? Weren't I, I also got him to take me to Heavy Metal. That's not it's that a, bad. It's a cartoon. That, With well, nudity. I was still like seven, and it blew my mind. That yeah. was the second time we went I to a movie. I bet you blew more than your mind after you watched oh, that. Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, that was the second time we went to a movie, and he was like, do not tell your mother I took you to this. <laughs> that's, ah, okay, but it's so much cool stuff. Well, that's not bad. I don't consider your dad a bad parent. I never met the Oh, dad. no, God. Th- no, have I ever good. met your dad? I don't think uh, I have. Probably not. No, but speaking of bad parents... <laughs> I I was went to watch Nightmare on Elm Street two, whichever one that was. Like that's not three four years. Whatever Nightmare on Elm Street two. And I went to go to the movie theater, and it's just getting ready to start. I actually was running late, so the movie had already been going for five minutes. And this mother walks out with like a three year old, oh screaming, God. and the three year old just screaming its head off. And I'm like thinking to myself, well, future ser- serial killer there. Oh, Why'd Jesus. you bring him? Oh Jesus! <laughs> I, I I imagine that was the same look I had when I went and saw Watchmen. Anyone unfamiliar with it, it is a superhero movie quote that's not actually a superhero movie. It's actually more like anti-hero movie. Yeah, it's, it's a very dark, violent, gritty, violent mystery film basically yeah. that happens to have superheroes. I'm sitting there getting ready to watch it and I look down here and here's two dads with like four kids. The <laughs> oldest being nine. I'm just like, oh god. Yeah. I, I read Watchmen when I was 12 and there were parts of it that I was like, oh Jesus. This is not X-Men, man. This is not Spider-Man. This is... Oh, these kids are in for a real shock when they get to, you know, rape and horrible things that are going to happen in this film. You guys oh, yeah. have no idea what you are sending these poor kids into. Yeah, I, I'm not... I don't I don't have any good parent. I got to tell you a story about what my oldest boy. Uh, I am not... I have a bad parent award myself. I was... We, my youngest... My oldest boy. He's 21 now. Yeah. When he was seven, he used to get up and um, in the mornings when I was sleeping in and my ex-wife and we were sleeping in and we get up and we come out and he's watching a movie I'm like oh he, he knew how to run the DVR player yeah. the kid had saw it oh ho, ho, ho. and we uh, were we had been drinking the night before and he, he, her mom dropped him off so basically yeah. he, he was taking care of him. he wasn't neglecting or anything right but yeah, I felt like a really bad parent because he was watching Saw. Uh, yeah, Saw's Saw's a brilliant film. I love the first one. Yeah, but, but not for a nine-year-old. Yeah, not for a little kid. I mean, I can't say much. I have always watched horror, as you know. Yeah. And my kids have watched uh, quite a chunk of it with me. Yeah. But my daughter, when she was younger, was super into horror. And when like '09, when they did the uh, Friday the Thirteenth reboot, we had that on DVD, and <laughs> I let her watch it with me. And I would catch her in, in upstairs in her room, and I'd come by, and I'm like, what are you watching? Nothing. 
No, she would. She'd just be like, "Oh, I'm watching the behind the scenes stuff," because she was watching all the stuff and was fascinated by the effects. And I was like, "Okay, I think we're good," because she understands this isn't real. Yeah, that's, <laughs> but yeah, that's she a would plus. sit and watch over and over the behind the scenes, how they did the effects. I was like, and part of me was like, "Oh, am I?" And what is she doing now? Retail. Uh, she's she's working retail, retail. You know, so it prepares you for those kind of horrors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But yeah, there's like part of me that was like, oh, I'm a horrible parent for letting them watch this, and and the new My Bloody Valentine when it came that out. That was actually yeah. really good. Oh, it's really. This good. podcast is now turned into a movie podcast. It, it has just for the last few minutes. But yeah, but there was part of me that was also like, oh, I'm so proud of her because I was watching that kind of stuff too. I loved the behind the scenes stuff. But and there it, was that part of me that was just like, does this make me a bad parent, man? She's like eight. Yeah. Nah, screw it. She it doesn't make no, it doesn't make you a bad parent. But the reason me and Marty are talking about movies is because we're really excited to go see a movie together. We're going on a mandate. We're going to go see Godzilla versus Kong. Oh, hell yeah. I am so excited for this movie. It's going to be so much fun. All the early reviews I've seen on it. Oh, yeah. Completely spoiler-free, but say this is a fantastic sci-fi kaiju tearing things apart film, and I can't wait to watch it i want to see some death and destruction i like uh, the, from the previews yeah. i've seen and what i've heard no spoilers here but they're talking about how it actually shows like the humans and what happens to them when yeah, the buildings yeah, go boom <laughs> it sounds like they are going to do a little more kind of like some of the older Godzilla yeah. would focus on kind of the human aspect too and yeah no i'm super psyched for it i am buying tickets tomorrow night yep so that we'll be ready to roll and do that i can't wait the only excitement high point I have for like the next two days, besides not having to work on Friday. Yeah, tomorrow's nice. my last work day, too. So, it'll be so, awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to say about Antarctic, Marty? Uh, besides it's cold. It is. And it's it nice the weather's not bipolar like here. At least when it's cold there, it's cold consistently. Yeah, and it's always cold. It's just a degree of cold. Let's yeah. be real. Uh, no, man. Uh, I say we save some for oh, yeah. next show, or we can really kind of get into the meat of some some of the weirder conspiratorial weirder <laughs> and i'm gonna go off on another tangent i think i've already been working on part two so all right i like tangents oh yeah all right well thanks for everybody for listening if you want to contact us get a hold of us at edge of the headlights podcast at gmail.com and send us your stories we would gladly like to hear them all right everybody have a good night bye Bye.